M-S-W Media. We'd like to welcome our new sponsor, HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash CleanUp16 and use code CLEANUP16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 127 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, June 28th, 2023. I'm your host, Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. Today, we'll discuss the latest in the Peter Navarro contempt case and the George Santos bail drama, and of course, the John Durham congressional testimony from last Thursday. (laughs) I can't can't read that sentence without laughing. Um, (laughs) We'll also uh, go over new sanctions for Rudy Giuliani, da-da-da-da, and trouble for Jim Jordan, as new Twitter video shows that the platform was not silencing conservative voices. Yeah, enough. Yeah, I know. Whoa. Every single one of his investigations is totally falling apart. And that the Supreme Court is allowing a lawsuit um, in the Ohio State University wrestling scandal to go forward. But first, I want to take a minute to thank our new patrons this week. Patrons, you make the world go round. You make this whole show happen. So a big shout out to Wanda Broner, Alexis B., Jennifer Moore, Robert Kramer from the Netherlands, very cool, Hunter, Vicky Kindberg, Howard Beyer, R.L. Bose, R. Chaw, a Pretty Fly Polly Sigh, <laughs> love it, Debbie Sheldon, Connie Ziegler, Pam Herrick, uh, Joanne McWaters, J.A. Bombard, Scott Link, Susan Bridge, Jennifer Malinowski, Ed B., Anne Marin, and... Opal's new vagina is already sick and tired of MAGA nonsense. <laughs> welcome welcome to the club, Opal. Thank you again so much. Uh, we cannot thank you enough for being patrons. If you are a patron at the $2 per regular episode level, you'll get that free bonus episode every week. You'll get twice as many episodes. You can sign up at patreon.com slash aisle45pod. That's A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Uh, so, Pete, did you have a, a restful weekend? Uh, <laughs> no. No, it was interesting how <laughs> things suddenly, uh, you know, with global international affairs pop up without warning. And all the more reason when you do have global uncertainty that you want a calm, level-headed mind like Donald Trump in the White House to tweet his <laughs> way through it in the kind of seat of his pants, talk about how big his red button is compared to Kim Jong-un's. But no, it was uh, it was not restful, but I think it was absolutely reassuring both in terms of both the president and national security team we have leading our country, as well as just another reminder of what a risk to national security would be, and yet another reason that there's a risk to national security by having Donald Trump return to the White House. So I don't know. What about you? You get any rest? Just hats off to y'all voters. You did this. The reason that, that Biden is there now is because of you. And I mean, you know, a lot of people are arguing on Twitter. None of this would have happened if Trump were in the White House. Well, yeah, because Trump would have handed half of Ukraine over to Russia and shoved, uh, what was his name, uh, Yanukovych in charge uh, as part of his quote unquote peace plan that he was putting together with that other, that one guy that we, you know, I can't, I can't ever remember his name. But uh, yeah, so I guess to be fair, uh, <laughs> there might not have been this uh Potential yeah. civil war slash coup, but uh, you wouldn't have a, a sovereign Ukraine either. Right, exactly. If you're uh, adherent to the surrender as a means of global you know, peace, yeah, there's always an option to just give in to the whatever despot is threatening, whether it's you know Putin in Ukraine or Kim Jong-un shooting 
missiles over South Korea and Japan, you can always roll over. That's uh, that's an option, no doubt. And so I, I, I don't the the if anything, this weekend just highlighted the need for competence and the importance of competence and expertise, particularly when it comes to matters of national security. And at the end of the day, you know, having a team that is seasoned, that is experienced, that is mature enough to understand what is going to look for options to understand that, you know, not being actively involved to, you know, sitting back and monitoring carefully to, you know, note that this is an internal Russian matter to not escalate the situation is every single time something like this happens. Again, it's just a reminder, and I hope a reminder for everyone about what it is that the presidency does. I mean, we yes, we complain about you know kind of the day to day operations and the abhorrent immigration policies, but when it comes to things like national security and war, and you know, <laughs> nominating justices certainly to the Supreme Court and elsewhere that have a real tangible and long lasting impact on our lives, this is just a you know a huge reminder on the national security front why it's important to have real leadership in the White House. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm also thinking about, uh, with regard to national security, um, Sue Gordon uh, was a guest on Deadline White House last Friday and talked about how the number of stars on that wall that Trump basically defiled by speaking in front of it um, at the CIA, at the, I think it's the CIA, correct, uh, yep. has doubled. Uh, and with the way that um, that Donald's handling national security uh, information, national defense information, uh, is just abhorrent uh, when it comes to protecting the men and women who have spent their entire lives, uh, you know, taking care of uh, taking care to to gather this intelligence for us to protect us and to protect our national security and our country and our allies, and to just defile it the way that he has. Uh, it was very emotional. Uh, so hats off to Sue Gordon, hats off to Nicole Wallace for the segment. Uh, but uh, that just also really struck me and, and also made me very thankful to everyone listening to this show, because I know you voted and I know you brought people with you. And it's because of you that we are now s much safer. So thank you. Um, speaking of people who are not much safer, uh, let's talk about the Ohio State University wrestling team from the 70s to the 90s uh, and what's going on there. And I know that this is sort of ancillary to what we talk about, but Jim Jordan is involved in this. Uh, so, Pete, what's what's happening with that case? Yeah. So on uh, Monday, the Supreme Court left in place a decision which allows more than 230 men, 230, to sue Ohio State University over decades-old sexual abuse by a university doctor, the late Richard Strauss. Now, Ohio State had urged the court to review a ruling by the Sixth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals that revived lawsuits that had been dismissed, and the men who sued are among hundreds of former student-athletes and other alumni who say they were abused by Strauss, who worked at the school, again, as you indicated, for two decades, from 1978 until 1998. Uh, the various uh, folks who sued say university officials failed to stop him despite repeated complaints raised as early as the late 70s. So just at the, at the time he started working there, many of them alleged Strauss abused them during required physicals and other medical exams at the campus athletic facilities, a student health center, his home, and an off-campus clinic. Now, Strauss killed himself in 2005 at the age of 67. In 2018, Ohio State announced an investigation into Strauss's abuse and the university's conduct. It has apologized to his victims and reached over $60 million in settlements with at least 296 people. But the university eventually sought to have the remaining unsettled cases dismissed, arguing that the time limit for the claims had long passed. Now, how does Jim Jordan factor into all of this? You may remember that, you know, Jim Jordan was a former coach uh, on the Ohio State wrestling team, and it came to light certainly in the 2020 time period, uh, both through a variety of his former wrestlers as well as those wrestlers, both speaking to the media as well as testimony under oath to Ohio State legislators that they had gone to Jim Jordan. Multiple wrestlers had gone to Jim Jordan and said, hey, look, that, uh, you know, Strauss was abusing me. I went in for, you know, a physical, for medical treatment. One, one of the wrestlers went in and said, you know, he had a problem with his thumb and Strauss tried to pull down his pants. And he said he jumped off the exam table and said, what are you doing? The problem's with my thumb. But then, you know, where it gets really particularly just, you know, heinous is in addition to this apparent multiple individuals saying that they notified Jim Jordan about the abuse, 
that one of these, Adam DiSabato, told Ohio State legislators in February 2022 that Jordan called him in 2018 and asked mm-hmm. him to contradict statements by his brother, who had publicly alleged that Jordan knew about Strauss's abuse back when he worked for Ohio State. And this is a quote from the testimony. Jim Jordan called me crying, crying, groveling on the 4th of July, begging me to go against my brother, begging me, crying for half an hour. That's the kind of cover-ups that's going on here, which is what DiSpato told legislators again under oath. And then in response, as you might expect, Jim Jordan spent, you know, in, engaged a, a, you know, a, a lobbying firm, spent a extraordinary amount of money and, uh, you know, to try and, you know, quiet and dispel and get these uh, allegations off the table. But when you look at this activity and particularly these lawsuits that are now going to continue, there's certainly a question about to the extent that the university had culpability when you had multiple people, multiple wrestlers telling the administration, telling their coaches, telling specifically, allegedly Jim Jordan, that this abuse was going on and yet nothing, you know, what the question first is, what did Jim Jordan do or not do with regard to that alleged abuse? Did he say anything? Did he take any measures to stop it? And if not, why not? And part of the purpose of those lawsuits, presumably if they continue, will be, you know, through the process of discovery, finding out, are there any records whatsoever? of this behavior being reported. And again, if not, why not? But this is not, I mean, it truly is something I don't know how, given Jordan's leadership position, these extraordinarily serious allegations have somehow just kind of gone away. Given the GOP's focus on groomers and Mm, pedophiles. Mm -hmm. Give me a fucking break. Groomers and pedophiles? Okay, let's talk about these 200 plus wrestlers many of whom were under Jim Jordan's responsibility and care as a coach, being groomed, being subjected allegedly to the actions of a pederast, and Jim Jordan did fucking nothing? Hmm. Or maybe he did. Maybe that's all going to come out. Maybe he won't produce in depositions and records of him writing and telling the Ohio State University leadership that this is going on and going to the local police department on campus and going to the local Columbus Police Department and saying there is sexual abuse going on. I'm asking you to look into it. Maybe that's there, Allison. Maybe Jim Jordan has a nice, tidy record of this responsible behavior of him standing Hmm. up to sexual abuse, of him standing up to grooming behavior. Maybe that's all coming. But thanks to the Supreme Court, I think we're going to get a lot more information about whether or not that exists. Yeah. I'm, uh, uh, and, and as per usual, the Supreme Court didn't really say anything. They're just not taking up the case, which leaves it to the lower court decision, uh, as you said. So we'll, I think we're going to I think we're going to learn a lot more. Uh, I, I'm. I really doubt any of that happened. I really doubt that any of that Jim Jordan went anywhere and said anything. Otherwise, why would you call crying for a half an hour to to lie about your brother's abuse? Just, just stunning. Yeah, it it, it truly is abhorrent. And I, you know, we'll see. I, I, I am curious to find out. Does. Ohio State then look and dig deep in its pocket. I mean, this is, you know, whatever it is or is not for Jim Jordan, certainly for Ohio State University, it's also a terrible look. And so the question is, do they, you know, seek to settle and what what price are, you know, are some of these, uh, you know, are some of these plaintiffs unwilling to settle or not? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, again, this is, uh, we're, we're talking about Jim Jordan, but like, you know, I first and foremost need to focus on the victims. Yes. And just the way that upended their their lives, the trauma it undoubtedly caused them, how it's still with them today, how they've had to fight to even see these lawsuits through, but all the ripples through the community, through Ohio State, through everything else. So, I mean, it's just, uh, I am I am glad that these will be able to continue and, and hopefully serve as some measure of both justice and resolution for all these alleged victims. Yes, uh, hats off to the 230 men that are going forward with this. It's very brave. Uh, in the face of, I mean, just all the red tape and the legal stuff and, and the probably political pressure, um, just really, um, truly an act of courage. So hats off to them. Uh, we have a lot more to get to, but we're going to take a quick break right here. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG from Cleanup on Aisle 45. I'm excited to tell you how HelloFresh and their meal delivery service made my time in the kitchen simpler 
easier and more delicious. Now I've got a newfound passion for home cooking I never had before. I used to burn jello, but HelloFresh makes it so easy, and I get to save time and money. HelloFresh is your recipe for success. Take a bite out of something new with 40 recipes to choose from weekly. Go to HelloFresh.com slash CleanUp16 and use code CLEANUP16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh is less expensive than ordering takeout and far more convenient than going to the grocery store. And if you're stuck in a recipe rut, you can always take a bite out of something new with the 40 recipes I was talking about that you can choose from every week. You'll also get farm-to-table quality with every HelloFresh box. They use seasonal ingredients, picked at peak ripeness, that travel from farm to your doorstep in less than seven days. That guarantees you'll get fresh flavor in every single bite. It's so good, you can really taste the difference. All their meals are delicious. Lately, I've been raving about their sweet Thai chili beef lettuce wraps. Oh my god, they're so good. I love the sweet chili sauce and the fresh cucumbers, radishes, carrots, and onions. It's colorful, it's crispy, it's delicious. You need to try it. So go to HelloFresh.com slash CleanUp16 and use code Clean up 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. All right. Uh, let's talk, Pete, about another Pete. Let's talk about <laughs> Pete Navarro. And this is different from the other Pete Navarro case we've been discussing, where the Department of Justice sued him to hand over his Proton emails under the Presidential Records Act, and he still hasn't done it. No, no, no. This is about Peter Navarro being held in criminal contempt for defying his January 6th committee subpoena. Uh, Pete Navarro wants to be able to tell the jury that the former president told him to defy the congressional subpoena. But on Wednesday, in a hearing, Judge Emmett Mehta didn't sound like he was having it. Uh, we had, he hasn't ruled yet, but didn't, didn't sound good. Uh, he didn't rule immediately, at least, on the issue. Uh, about the jury, which is one of the largest outstanding questions ahead of the trial, which is set for September 5th. Huh. Oddly enough, the same day Ken Paxton's impeachment trial begins in Texas. <laughs> so lots <laughs> going on September. And I love it, especially if it's later in the summer. Now, Meta, as we know, is a judge for the U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia, said the issue will likely come out one of two ways. An evidentiary hearing ahead of trial where the judge will rule on any evidence Navarro presents about Trump's directions about how to respond to the subpoena or letting Navarro make those same arguments at trial. Now, time and time again, they've asked for this evidence. And time and time again, Navarro has said, I don't have any. Oh, I just had a private conversation with the president. And he said that, will the president sign a declaration? No. Will he come in and testify? No. Like, it's it's just very, it's very interesting. But there is, there are other considerations here. If Trump did tell him to defy a subpoena, that could play a role uh, in potentially whether this evidence is, is led in or not. Now, uh, Meta did rule that Navarro could not dismiss the case entirely over his claims of executive privilege. Uh, now, guess who's uh, representing Pete Navarro? <laughs> Yeah, it, one of the 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 attorney to the mega stars, right? Yes, yep, Stanley Woodward. Uh, he's also representing Kash Patel, Walt Nauda. I mean, this guy is everywhere. He's he's probably already banked millions from the Save America pack. But uh, Woodward argued that Pete is not an attorney and shouldn't be expected to navigate the complicated questions about when executive privilege and testimonial immunity apply. Meta pushed back. I wish he would have said, yeah, but you're his lawyer. That's what you do. Uh, but Meta pushed back on the argument saying there is no harassment defense because he's a White House official. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, but unless Meta rules on the privilege issue in the interim, Navarro will next head to court on August 30th for a pretrial hearing to set out the details of the trial, which again begins, what, six days after that on September 5th. Yeah, you know, and there's nothing, there's no better exemplar of the privileged white male entitlement coming into contact with the criminal justice system than Peter Navarro, whether he is screaming about the the be, the affront of being handcuffed or the way that you know he was subjected to you know being in a cell or having to go and appear before a judge or actually having to understand perhaps his obligations under subpoenas and actually respond to them like every other single american citizen in our nation his his continuing outrage that he should have to follow these rules 
is something to behold. I, I have well, not... Well, he lied about it, too, right? He was like, they tackled me and knocked me down oh, and Right, and I was in leg and, irons. And it's like, and no, no, they, you they made me no, they break didn't. rocks with a hammer. No, yeah, it's, No, they didn't, yeah. Peter. And I was, yeah, and I was chipping away at the salt and putting it on the back <laughs> of the donkeys. And no, you weren't. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. Yeah, it, it, and it's the just, DOJ's like, we've got video here. Look, it's it's not it's it's it is the same. And in you know, in the female version of Marjorie Taylor Greene going to visit the January six defendants and saying these conditions are so terrible. Yes, which is what a lot of you know, sort of people in favor of criminal justice reform have been saying for the past several generation about yeah. the state of you know the nation's incarceration system so Jeffrey yes. Clark had it worse that you know he answered the door in no pants and, they, and then he's like can I put pants on and they're like no you can't because we got to go in so he had to stand outside stand right here, in his buddy. chonies but but still like come on I was it was the I walked uphill both ways in the snow to the, my deposition okay you know what I'm I'm done with you uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out it's going to be interesting to see how his proton mail thing turns out like and the whole thing about the other case with Pete Navarro that just blows my mind is that the DOJ didn't charge him with a violation of the Presidential Records Act. Uh, they, they didn't they didn't indict him uh, or with, with contempt or obstruction or anything. Yeah, he, they just he, sued he, him to get the stuff back. He, and he's uh, well, complaining about that. Uh, yeah, I do wonder if he's the Republican version. Well, they're the, the non-family version of, you know, Donald Jr., you know, too dumb to, con- to collude sort of thing. If they if he hasn't been charged just because he is not, you know, entirely there. But I, it's not given his behavior, given what he's facing. And again, we'll see. I, you know, we'll see what his involvement was. With, you know, he's Mr. Green Bay Sweep, right? I mean, we'll see what comes out of Georgia. We'll see what comes out of Jack Smith. I, you know, I don't know at the end of the day the centrality of what Peter Navarro did in the various January 6th scheming. I don't know how his behavior lines up against particular elements of a crime that would constitute a violation of federal or Georgia state law. But certainly Navarro was was in the thick of a lot of that. So, I, you know, Navarro's got these, you know, kind of little, not small. I mean, they wouldn't be small for anybody. But for him, you know, this may be potentially small beer compared to what is coming down the pike, but yeah. um, he's one of those. I don't know if you ask me, like who's the core group of people, you know, particularly down in Georgia. I don't know that he's there. I don't know how central he is to what Jack Smith is looking at, but you know, he certainly was not some, you know, innocent bystander who got wrapped up in some email with. And if he did have discussions with members of Congress about delaying or, or the Green Bay sweep, basically he's, he's waived any privilege um, that he could possibly have by talking about it openly on television. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how all of this shakes out. He's, he's in a lot of trouble, but right now it's just sort of ancillary periphery kind of trouble. We'll see what happens with the the rest of the January 6th investigation, which is still chugging along. Uh, looks like it's coming, coming to an end. All right. Um, speaking of people in trouble for January 6th and in Georgia, let's talk about Rudy. Uh, and I want to set this up with a piece by Jane Tim at NBC, something that came out this week, um, Ruby Freeman and her daughter Shay Moss were officially cleared by Georgia authorities on Tuesday. The investigation has taken this long to clear them of wrongdoing. You remember Ruby Freeman and her her daughter Shay Moss. Uh, Shay testified at a January sixth hearing. I was that was ten feet away from her, watching her extremely harrowing story. And, and watching the video of, of Ruby Freeman and what had happened to her after Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump accused them of ballot fraud in Georgia. Georgia State's election board has dismissed its year-long investigation into that alleged election fraud at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta. This was one of the points they harped on over and over again, the suitcase of ballots. They stopped counting. They pulled them out of the suitcase from under the table. Everybody remembers this. Uh, The fraud claims were, quote, unsubstantiated and found to have no merit, unquote. That's what the investigation concluded, reporting on the work of the FBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, and investigators from the Secretary of State's office vetting the alleged fraud. So this is in triplicate, okay, investigation. Now, Trump and his ally, Rudy, repeated those claims that they had committed election fraud. Julie said Freeman and Moss were passing USB drives, quote, like vials of heroin or cocaine. Yeah, little, during, 
casual race baiting dog whistles mm. from you know sweaty mm -hmm. rudy but yeah go on rudy mm -hmm. yeah during ballot counting moss later explained that uh she handed her mother handed her a ginger mint it wasn't a a usb drive it was a mint um and and rudy giuliani was sanctioned this is the new story right and this is what's great he was just sanctioned because because shay moss and ruby freeman have sued rudy for defamation and we've been covering this a bit, right? Rudy went into the judge and said, I can't afford to have do discovery. I can't afford the software it takes to go through all of my documents and my electronic devices. And Judge Beryl Howe said, okay, prove it. Give me all your financials. And Rudy was like, no, 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 no. No, wait a minute. And then a couple of things were filed under seal. And then bam, this week, Rudy Giuliani was sanctioned by Beryl Howell for failing to search for and return over, to return over records in, in the discovery of this lawsuit. Again, it's Beryl Howell. She ordered Giuliani to pay attorney's fees and costs associated with uh, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman's effort to force him to search for documents. Uh, lawyers for the plaintiffs, former Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, asked Howell to sanction Giuliani in April accusing him of failing to fulfill basic obligations to turn over records as part of the lawsuit. So he's been sanctioned. We don't have a, a clear amount yet, but that is what's going on in, in, in Rudy land uh, today. And did you see the Lev Parnas tweet? Um, Lev Parnas is an interesting fellow, uh, but he, he tweeted that he sources tell him Rudy is pissed and angry and drinking heavily because of this, lawsuit and his sanctions and that he's going to be indicted he's going to be indicted for january 6th so uh that that now again that's coming from fraud guarantees love parnas but yeah well, i think you might and, know and some drinking people. drinking heavily i mean what's the you know the the deviation from the mean right there allegedly is may, maybe not so great but you know what what gets me about this house and i mean one i i I'm willing to bet Rudy is going to come in with a filing saying I'm, you know, essentially a itinerant, destitute man without any financial wherewithal whatsoever to pay any of these uh, sanctioned fees. So we'll see what actually comes out of pocket in terms of being produced for these legal fees. But what gets me about this, I mean, I think most of our listeners remember the testimony by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss and their interviews and all the nonsense. What I think most people maybe didn't appreciate was the fact that they were being investigated. Again, the FBI, yeah. the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, and investigators from the Georgia Secretary of State's office over the course of years were investigating them. Now, mm -hmm. it, you know, how much, you know, whether or not they were, you know, ever seriously under investigation we're told hey we just need to interview at the end of the day i can tell you it doesn't matter if you are just a an election worker and her mom and suddenly you have state local and federal authorities investigating your actions for years i mean come on all because of what you know all good old rudy and and donald trump and other allegations that led to this and that, yes, you know, did they have great lawyers? They certainly did. Are hopefully these lawyers either doing it pro bono or doing it in a way that both Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman aren't having to pay out of pocket. You know, neither of them are, you know, super wealthy, independently connected to, you know, powerful people to provide for legal defense, but it takes a toll on you. And this is, again, we, we don't talk about this in terms of the way that the judicial system was weaponized, but absolutely, when you look at the two of them, I mean, thank God it's finally done. And I am certain they're breathing a, you know, a great deal more easily today than they were a week ago when th this was still, you know, as far as they knew was ongoing. But it just goes to show the way that the judicial system was manipulated by Trump and his allies to go after people. Again, this isn't some well-known, this isn't like a, you know, a nationally known appointed political enemy. This is a local poll worker. Mm-hmm. Egregious. It's just absolutely egregious and, and racist, in my opinion. What do you think of the timing? Um, just a month and a half before we get charging decisions in Georgia, uh, Jack Smith potentially wrapping up his January 6th investigation, because I, I assume that this report and this investigation of no basis and no findings for election fraud in Georgia will be added to the pile of evidence uh, in, in both of, of those cases, most likely. Uh, and then also, I, I feel like 
a lot of times we see a lot of things being a lot of loose ends being tied up before indictments come out. And, and so I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the timing here, or did it just take two years or did they hurry up to finish before these indictments came out? I, I probably just two independent investigations that just happened to be ended around the same time. Yeah, you know, I don't know why it took that long. And it's clear it's not necessarily the case that, you know, the FBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations and the Secretary of State's office were all working together in some task force. These could have been different, uh, different work, different investigations that were done and were all provided to the state election board. And so whether it took that long, I, you know, it's a little disappointing that it did take that long. I'm not sure what it was that, you know, needed until whatever, June of 2023 to, to resolve. But I think, you know, what it tells me is if you're going to get money from Rudy, you better hurry up and do it. Because if he comes down and gets indicted criminally uh, by Fonnie Willis in about another month or so, he's not going to, the amount of money he's going to have to pony up to come uh, and hire another legal team in Georgia to defend him there if he's indicted, uh, you know, and he's, you know, according to Lev, you know, drinking whatever liquid financial resources he has, he's converting it into like tangible alcoholic liquid uh, beverages. You better hurry up and get that money because I, I don't see how Rudy is one of those when you look up like kind of the, the, the spiraling down in, in the dictionary, it's got, I think, a photo yeah. or, a, you know, a picture of Rudy Giuliani right now. The shame this spiral. Is, yeah. yeah, it's it's not. Well, shame. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, the thing, I mean, these were state investigations, but the feds refused to even open a preliminary investigation back with BJ Pack and all that other stuff that was, you know, going on. And the, the original uh, Georgia guy was fired, U.S. Attorney's Office, and then BJ Pack took over and BJ Pack's like, I'm still not going to do it, dude. Uh, and I, you know, I'm assuming that they're all talking to and have spoken to Fonnie Willis and, and the special counsel as well. Yeah. But that that Fed case, they were like, there's just not even predicate to open it. But Georgia wanted to go through, I guess, and take the two years to to thoroughly investigate it, tie up all the loose ends and come out right now and say no voter fraud, no wrongdoing. Right. And it could be, you know, we also need to keep in mind, I mean, it isn't certain that like, you know, the FBI was ever investigating them. Right. I mean, you may recall that Shea Moss reported reportedly, you know, somebody showed up at her door trying to convince her to do or not do certain things and that there may yeah. have been some investigation again, not of her, not of her mother, but of the people who were trying to intimidate or otherwise coerce her. So, you know, when you when you see them thanking the FBI, I think it's important to highlight, you know, that doesn't mean the FBI was investigating them. It may very well be and I think it's probably likely that the FBI was investigating some of the things that were done to try and Kanye West's intimidate publicist them. Yes, yes, And the Harrison yes, Ford him. guy, the guy named Harrison Ford. Yeah. Exactly. It, that that those, you know, if the FBI went out, and who knows, they may still be under investigation, either state or locally, but that investigation, those interviews, some summary of that investigation was provided to the state election board, yeah, that's which a good then point they were able to too. use. So, that's a good again, point. That could have been like a... A full investigation of everything, and they're like, "Well, we're we've been done with Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman for a while. Let's announce they're off the hook while we keep going on looking at other stuff because they haven't announced anybody else is off the hook." Right, and so I, you know, my my point in saying that is just to you know, highlight for folks: don't you know, don't it isn't don't necessarily get mad at Georgia BI or the FBI because it we don't know, and I, in my opinion, again, I don't think it's likely that they were investigating Shay or Ruby. It is more likely, in my opinion, they were investigating the folks who were trying to intimidate and do bad things with regard to them, and they provided that information to the state election board. Now, why it took the state election board that long, maybe they were waiting, you know, to your point, maybe the feds wanted to wait or, you know, Fonnie Willis or the DA's office asked them to wait until certain things and mileposts were crossed before they provided this information. But again, just the fact that they needed to wait this long to kind of get that resolution and that peace of mind that it's done is is a little unfortunate, but uh, it's, you know, it's done. So that's, that's the good news. And again, we'll see... I, I do think we will see them come up again in a criminal context, but not at all as subjects, but certainly potentially as victims and folks who, you know, there was a pattern of potentially intimidation or other, you know, potentially illegal acts as part of this effort. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I sometimes think like, where, where will we be in the news tomorrow? What about next week? What about next month? And what about next year? And then what about in... Three years. Like, I, I just, 
try to picture that, how this whole, all of it's going to unfold with the multiple different investigations into so many people. You know, I mean, the, the documents case, 84 witnesses for the documents case. Imagine the January 6th case witness list. I mean, it's going to be massive. Um, and so, uh, we'll, you know, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on it for you. Uh, but we do have uh, a few other things we want to cover today. We just have to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Stick around. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right. Welcome back, everybody. If you are a subscriber, you've heard us talk a little bit about Durham's testimony last night. But uh, for everybody else, there's an interesting, yet again, under the category of every single thing Jim Jordan touches turns to shit. Uh, John Durham went before the House Judiciary Committee and testified the day last week and the day before that he went to the House Intelligence Committee and testified in a closed setting. And the results, Allison, I got to say, you know, I'm troubled and I've, you know, thought about it and, you know, spent the weekend kind of considering the, 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 the sort of, as things settled, how they settled. And a couple of things really bother me. And I, you know, first it's, it's clear that, you know, there, there was not anything there, right? This was a nothing burger. There was not any sort of deep state plot. There was not some sort of FBI, foreign government, U.S. intelligence community collusion. There was not some You're not sort of, in Guantanamo, Pete. You're here with us today. I'm not in Guantanamo. It is not, you know, everybody from Hillary Clinton to Jake Sullivan to Jim Comey to Jim Clapper to John Bruce Brennan Orr. to Andy McCabe and Bruce Orr. We are all walking free as we record this. But what bothers me again at the and I've, I've said this before on the show, John Durham was a very respected, good prosecutor. But I just I, I what I don't understand and what's really interesting and there's I, I would recommend to everybody if you haven't read it, Jonathan Chait in the New York Magazine has a really interesting article which talks about several just very basic, fundamental, factual things about Russia's attacks on the US election in 2016 and the way those kind of interacted and overlapped with the Trump campaign and people within the Trump campaign, that in the testimony, it was clear that I, it, it Durham didn't know. And I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just to clarify, Durham was tasked with investigating the Russia investigation 
of which he apparently doesn't know anything about after spending four years on it. Yeah, and and, and that's his. It, this wasn't a side note, right? This was not. Oh, hey, look at, you know, look at one through ten, and by the way, if you happen to have time, look at eleven through fourteen as well. This was the core of his job. Yeah, these weren't. Yeah, these weren't like okay. So on page, you know. 482 uh, in the obstruction part with the dangling pardon for Cohen, you know, can you tell me what day that he said that you're a rat fuck? And, and you know, and, well, I'd, I'd have to have the Durham or I'd have to have the Mueller report in front of me to be able to give you that information. Uh, why? Why do I remember it? Don't ask. But uh, it wasn't stuff like that. It wasn't little ancillary bits and pieces. It was the core fucking issue uh, with like, go over some of the examples. That yeah, he, and this he, he is what you know Chase does because again, it's a typical circus. We've got each member gets five minutes. I think Matt Gates got Gates got two for whatever reason, but it it is hard to sit down. I mean, it hard under any circumstances to listen to the <laughs> damn circus. But what Chate does is a very good job of sort of boiling down these sort of core components and laying them out. I mean, the first he starts out with Eric Swalwell asking Durham about how Trump quote tried and concealed from the public a real estate deal he was seeking in Moscow. And to which Durham replied, I don't know anything about that. Well, I'm sorry. How in the hell can you not know what has been repeatedly identified, whether it's the Senate Intelligence you know, committee, or committee report, whether it's public reporting, whether it's Michael Cohen himself saying, I was in Moscow and talking with people in Russia about a Trump Tower Moscow deal. At literally the same time on the campaign trail, Donald Trump was saying, I have no deals. I have no financial connections to Russia whatsoever. How can you not, quote, know anything about that? I had a whole and podcast then, about Should I send him a link to the I, podcast? I, 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 hopefully. I, I assume he is off to greener pastures and, you know, fishing off the bay in Connecticut or something. But I, it just, it goes, you know, and then Schiff, Adam Schiff continues. And Schiff did a masterful job. I mean, he was just, you can tell he was a prosecutor. You can tell he knows his stuff when it comes to the Russian attacks on the 2016 elections and everything that followed. But Schiff just methodically, calmly went through all of these things with Durham. He asked him if, did the Russians release stolen information through cutouts? Durham says, well, I'm not sure. And to which Schiff responded, well, the answer is yes. And then Durham said, in your mind, it's yes. No. In everybody's mind, it's yes. Yeah, Schiff, Schiff was like, it, look, we got WikiLeaks. We got Guccifer 2.0. We, we got, are DC you saying right. to me right now that there were not emails really hacked and released through cutouts? Is that what you're saying to me right now? As Like, I'm looking at your stupid face. Like, it was unbelievable. The Republican-led Senate Intel Committee said that the Russians stole the information and released it through the cutouts. The U.S. intelligence community has essentially, in as many words, confirmed that. Uh, outside investigators have, you know, forensic folks have confirmed that whether it's the DCCC or the DNC, that the Russians broke into this, they hacked and stole the material, and then it was released through all those entities. It is not in anybody's mind the case that the answer is yes. Yeah, and he wasn't asking him, did Trump orchestrate it or did the Republicans have anything to do with it? It was just, did Russia do this thing that we all know that they did? And what was interesting is that Burr was in charge of the committee, but then the DOJ under Barr opened an investigation into Burr for insider trading, and he had to step down from that committee, putting Marco Rubio in charge, who changed the whole a summary, not the entire report of Volume 5, but the summary of the release of the report to, again, downplay Russian interference. Uh, and so and and he and I saw that in Durham's face when he was like, it was Marco Rubio, you know, and it's like, you shut your mouth. You know what happened. You know why Burr was no longer in charge of that fucking committee. So anyway, that's just a little side part that I was a little up, especially upset about. Yeah. And there's and just time and time. And it keeps going. I mean, Schiff asked Durham, do you know, hey, hours after Trump publicly asked Russia to find Hillary's, state, or Hillary's uh, missing State Department emails and release them, literally said that on the camp train trail, and that within hours after that statement, Russian hackers made an attempt to hack Clinton emails? Durham replied, well, if that happened, I'm not aware of that. Well, it was in the Mueller report. And all these congressmen were asking your opinion about what Mueller did and what Mueller found. And you were responding as you someone with great familiarity and categorizing something as reliable or not reliable and how much you respected uh, Director Mueller and his work. But yet this, which was a key part of that report, 
No, I'm not aware of that. When asked if Trump referred to the stolen emails more than 100 times on the campaign trail, Durham said, well, quote, I don't really read the newspapers and listen to the news, unquote. And then finally, when Schiff asked Durham, are you aware that Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, before he had to resign, passed on non-public polling data to Konstantin Kalimnik, who's a Russian intelligence agent. At the same time, Russia was conducting both the social media campaign and the release of stolen documents to help Trump. Durham said, well, you may be getting beyond the depth of my knowledge. <laughs> How do you, that is, that is the circumstance, right? Those are the things that are going on when that allegation from the Australian ambassador in London trickles into the FBI. And if you're trying to understand why the FBI responded the way it did, and you don't know about all of those things, that Trump is asking Russia to hack Hillary's emails and they then go and try and do it, when Trump is saying, I don't have financial connections to Russia and Cohen is trying to set up a Trump Tower Moscow deal, when you're saying that you know the, the campaign manager, the campaign manager for Trump is taking non-public polling data and giving it to a Russian agent who then presumably is passing it to the Russian intelligence services who are helping to seed disinformation in a way to help Trump and hurt Clinton. Oh, yeah. He hopped on a plane and got uh, and ended up on Oleg Deripaska's boat. If you don't know any of that, or you're arguing about the veracity of that, how in the hell can you make an informed judgment about what the FBI and the Department of Justice and the U.S. intelligence community did or didn't do? And if you were aware of that, if anything, the only criticism might be, why did you not do more sooner? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I mean, for fuck's sake. I, I just, I don't, and I don't get at the end of the day, all of this, you know, they, they, well, they were too, you know, they were too lenient on, they, they, there was disparate treatment and there was confirmation bias. How can, how can you look at all those facts and say there was confirmation bias? If anything, you know, again, there was this investigation of Trump that the FBI was doing that nobody knew about until after the election. That's confirmation mm -hmm. bias. That's trying to go out and get Trump. At the same yeah. time, these statements are being made about the investigation in Hillary Clinton. That's what I was just going to say. About the reopening of the investigation in Hillary Clinton. That's somehow confirmation bias. That's somehow taking it easy on Clinton and being overly too aggressive against Trump? Give when the FBI break. announced the uh, investigation into Clinton, but it, we didn't know Trump was under investigation. So Conf Confirmation bias? Let's talk about confirmation bias. Let's talk about the felon George Papadopoulos. Let's talk about the felon Michael Flynn. Let's talk about the felon Roger Stone. Let's talk about the felon Paul Manafort. Let's talk about the, the felon Rick Gates. Mm -hmm. Confirmation bias? Go to hell. <laughs> I, I, come on. Compared to two aborted prosecutions of, of Sussman and Danchenko, confirmation bias my ass. I, I just, I don't get it. And I probably never will. And I, because I don't, I, I just, I can't explain it. I don't, I don't think, I think, I think Bill Barr is a malicious man. I don't know that John Durham is, and I don't understand what's at play. No, and my my Under only question there. that that goes in my head over and over again is what do they have on John Durham? What do they have on John Durham? Uh, like uh, uh, that's just uh, how my mind works uh, with this particular uh, administration. I could be completely wrong, but like I can't understand what would make him act that way either. Out of and other than just maybe just fear, I, I really I really don't know. But um, I I also. Um, Pete, we have to talk about um, some more embarrassing things for Jim Jordan. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to mention really quick, George Santos, they, they unsealed two of the three shirters. The third withdrew. And the two that were left were his dad and his aunt, I believe, a mm. mail carrier and a house painter. Mm. Uh, apparently, they didn't have the money or assets to guarantee the bond. And so I still have a lot of open questions about how the bond is guaranteed. Uh, if the guy, maybe the person, the third person who withdrew was the was the person who could guarantee it. But there's also stuff about how there's no cash needed. Um, but I don't know what happens if he doesn't show up. Who's on the hook for that bond? 
Um, there's just still a lot of unanswered questions and who that third person is and, you know, why they are the probably the ones that put up the assets and, and how they're connected to uh, to Santos. So a lot of weird stuff floating around with this guy, uh, but he's in a lot of fucking trouble. So, yeah, and he's not. I mean, even Kevin McCarthy was saying that, you know, I think it was today he gave an interview with our Sunday yesterday with the. Uh, Fox News folks saying, no, I'm not, you know, he's, we're not going to, I'm not going to back him. We're going to, somebody else is going to run and we're going to keep the seat. But, you know, even, you know, McCarthy's cut him loose, but I, I'm with you. I don't like nothing. There was not a breakdown of who paid how much uh, when those names were released. The fact that the third person withdrew and is not named is certainly curious. I don't, I, you know what? I just don't understand the whole bail system. Maybe it's probably the problem. If, if you, if anybody knows, write into us, hello at Mueller, she wrote dot com and put bail in the subject line and tell me what I'm missing because <laughs> I don't understand uh, why everything's just okay um, with this. So, uh, all right, we have to take one more quick break, then we're going to come back with more trouble for Jim Jordan. Stick around. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is from Drew Harwell, The Washington Post. Twitter's current owner, Elon Musk, as we know, commissioned the Twitter files intended to reveal how the company had previously sought to, you know, quash and squelch conservative speech. And the Republican-led committee in the House is working to build that case uh, that, you know, the, the case that tech giants have been digitally weaponized against conservative ideas. But new video out this week, well, seen by The Washington Post, I should say, and other newly obtained internal Twitter records show that Far from working to censor pro-Trump sentiment in the days from the Capitol riot, the company's leaders were intent on leaving it up, despite internal warnings that trouble was brewing. We heard a little taste of this when an anonymous Twitter employee testified at the January 6th hearings. But on January 5th, 2021, the day before the riot, the lawyers and specialists on Twitter's safety policy team, uh, which is the team that sets rules about violent content, they were bracing for a day of brutality. Quote, I am very concerned about what happens tomorrow, especially given what we've been seeing. That's one member of the team, Annika Collier-Navaroli. She said on that video call, uh, this is the video call, the details of which are being reported here in the Post for the first time. Quote, for months, we have been allowing folks to maintain and stay on the platform that they're locked and loaded, that they're ready to shoot people, that they're ready to commit violence. 
Some participants of the call pushed the company to adopt a tougher position, but a senior manager dismissed that idea, saying executives wanted them to take action against only the most flagrant rule violations, adding, we don't want to go too far. Ugh. Can you imagine being the person who fucking said that on January 5th? Quote, what if there's violence on the ground, responded another team member in the Dublin office. Quote, we would take action or do we have to wait for violence? Do we have to wait for someone getting shot? Somebody said, by the way, somebody got shot. Congressional Republicans, Trump supporters and Musk allies have condemned the company for suspending Trump's account after the riot, saying its employees were too quick to punish the former president because of their liberal prejudice. Uh, But the records reveal a company that fought until the end to give bent over backwards to give some of Trump's most belligerent supporters the benefit of, of the doubt, even as its internal teams faced an overwhelming volume of tweets threatening retribution in line with Trump's lies that the election had been stolen. So this completely, as we know, but now we have video fucking evidence, cuts Jim Jordan's argument off at the knees that conservative voices were quashed and poor Donald Trump. And when we know, when we've learned during those same hearings, Chrissy Teigen, uh, Trump called the Twitter to get them to take down the pussy ass bitch tweet from from Chrissy Teigen. So it's always the fucking opposite of reality with Jim Jordan and his committees. Yeah, of course it is. And, you know, one, it's just another example of Trump getting the benefit of the doubt that nobody else would in the same situation. The constant playing up to the line and past the line and daring somebody to take action. And yet again, somebody being afraid of the backlash if they were to actually just enforce the rules. And the other thing, you know, this this isn't just brand new breaking information. The fact that, I mean, this was the core of, you know, the so-called Twitter files where Elon gave access to all the internal files to motherfucking Matt Taibbi and Mike Schellenberger, who went through and dug into all this malfeasance and the government trying to influence and tell Twitter what to do and Twitter silencing people on the right, going as witnesses, as experts in front of Jim Jordan's committee and swearing under oath and testifying. Yet somehow all of this content, all of this information either wasn't provided them or somehow escaped their, you know, attention or wasn't seen or maybe was ignored. But the fact of the matter is this does nothing but expose what an utter grifting joke the Twitter files were for everybody involved. And I hope there is a, what is this, probably the 742nd asterisk next to the name of Matt Taibbi whenever he says or writes anything that people can look back on his body of work and say, you grifting joke. How can you possibly expect anyone to take seriously for an instant anything you have to say ever again? I remember Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Do you make more money now? Did you get quite a bit of money? Well, I spend more money now. Okay. All right. Uh, uh huh. So you you make more money now. Well, I spend more money now. Like it was just, and he was so smug. He 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 reminded me a lot of you ever see. Of course you have the the <laughs> the testimony of one Corey Lewandowski, <laughs> like just that smug asshole. Like <laughs> you know that just that. <sighs> Right. And, and anybody, and he refused, I don't, I forget who asked him, refused to answer whether or not Russia had interfered in the 2016 elections. I Always mean, there's just some things, it's like when you're, when you're being like, you know, smarmy, and I forget exactly how that, the question was worded, but when you can be so certain about U.S. government malfeasance, yet being dragged with your feet and hands digging into the ground to try and get to the truth of what Russia was doing in the disinformation space and what Russia was doing trying to influence our elections in 2016 and not even willing to give an inch on that. It tells you in my mind all you need to know. I just, again, it it is not surprising in the least that's there. It's disappointing. I am surprised in, you know, that, that Twitter, again, I would hope everybody taking what should be very hard looks at did our actions contribute to the violence on January 6th? Anybody who might be thinking that now on Twitter, I'm sure, has long since been fired by Musk. But the reality is, from this information, yeah, sure looks like it. You know, is it going to take 
someone getting shot? Mm, turns out, yep, sure did. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, you know, and I still remember that the that uh, anonymous Twitter employee testifying to the January sixth committee uh, to this to the same information. So. Uh, I don't even know if this is something that uh, any federal prosecutor or special counsel like Jack Smith would be looking into. Um, but, um, but you know, I, I, I'm wondering where all the Senate investigations are these days with Democrats. Like, why? I don't understand what the frick's going on. Tell over me there. about it. We're, 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 we're still fighting about whether something as basic as whether Harlan Crow, a private citizen, is actually subject to a judiciary subpoena or request before that to turn over business records. If we can't even get that far, asking him to do something, you know, kind of in the weeds as this, I'd throw up my hands in despair that it's ever going to happen. Yeah, true. Uh, all right. So, uh, lesson today call your senators, tell them to investigate shit. Uh, they have subpoena power, they have majorities. Uh, why aren't we doing it? Uh, we have a real hard Senate map in 2024. We have a real hard, we're going to have a really hard time holding the Senate. Uh, so now's the time to get these investigations going. Uh, all right. Well, Pete, thank you very much. It's been uh, another wonderful hour of Clean Up on Aisle 45. If you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. Do you have any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here for the week? I mean, it's Monday. We we dropped this Wednesday. Who knows what the fuck could happen on Tuesday? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I see that Eileen Cannon has issued a... a uh, Ruling without prejudice, meaning the government can go back, denying the fact that, uh, or, or denying the government request to keep the names of all the individuals they don't want Trump discussing the case with to keep them private. So, you know, that's something I'm sure- Well, that, under know, seal. Can, under seal, right, right, to not disclose it to the public. And I'm sure, you know, you and Andy will have some more to discuss about it, but, you know, the- I'm actually the, okay with this ruling. I'm actually okay uh, with this ruling. I read right. the motion from Jay Bratt. He didn't explain why he wanted this filed with the court and under seal. Uh, and he conditioned the bond uh, thing for not to, Trump not being able to talk to these 84 witnesses. He conditioned that on the thing being able to be filed under seal, but he uh, filed under seal, but he didn't explain why. And so Cannon dismissed without prejudice. They can refile. You need to explain to me why you want to file this with the court in the first place and then why you want to file it under seal and why redactions don't work. Uh, Trump's going to get the list anyway. I mean, he's going to get the list of witnesses. It's not about that. Uh, it's just about whether or not they can get that bond condition that Trump's not allowed to speak to any of these 84 people. And I think if Brat hadn't conditioned that on filing it under seal, we'd be in a different spot. But I will go. And that's, again, my little non-lawyer overview. I did look at some tweets from Bradley Moss, and we will have an expert on, and I'm going to talk to other experts about it before I fully formulate my opinion. But I do know that Eileen Cannon is a chaunch, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I, your word's not mine. No, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think it's like some of this is like, okay, DOJ, I mean, you know, to the extent they should have done it and they didn't, whether this is pro forma in most every other case, but it's not going to be in this one. I mean, I don't, That's I do not what think I was thinking. this is the kind of thing that you can go to the 11th Circuit and say, see, she's being unreasonable, no. reassign it. But it is, I think, an indication that, okay, you're going to have to, you know, do the law like you're doing it. For a, a third a, grader. Yes. And so we'll we'll see and we'll see if they refile. I mean, there were, I mean, there were like easily almost a dozen or so attorneys who filed appearances on the docket on behalf of media organizations to try and get access to information. So this is, you know, again, to folks who think this is going to be even with a request to have the trial pushed back to December, I have little no expectation that it's gonna happen by then. No. So, you know, we'll no. see. But uh more to come. Spring More at come. best. Spring at best. Um, maybe even after the election. All right. Yep, we're going to talk about that in the next episode of Jack coming out this Sunday on MSW Media. All right, my friend, have a wonderful week. And everyone listening, have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. Seriously, we can't thank you enough. I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. And this is Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs> 
Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.